Hello and welcome to another episode of We Ain't Got No Podcast. We Ain't Got No History's official Chelsea podcast. Um, there was something I was forgetting. What was it? Oh, yeah. Champions <laughs> of Europe. We know who we are. It is a very, very special occasion. It's been nearly 10 years, a whole decade since Chelsea won the last Champions League. And we have finally won it again. So this episode obviously is going to revolve all around that and the ecstasy that was on Saturday all across the globe for every Chelsea fan to feel. Ram, as always, my co-host, I mean, (laughs) blimey, what a weekend. If you would have said that at the start of the season, everyone would have laughed their tits off, if we're honest. Yeah, it was perfect. It was yeah, I'm so happy you've done the intro today because I just, I feel almost re-energized after listening to you. I've been taken <laughs> right back to, you know, those moments on Saturday night and watching the game and that feeling when the final whistle was blown and it was just, oh my God, I just spent the next day watching all of these videos that just relived all the moments from the final whistle on. Uh, yeah and then the same thing from 2012 there's like there's there's a bt sport video of chelsea celebrating for 20 minutes straight in 2012 and i watched that as well and i just just took it all in because we are european champions Bloody hell. <laughs> i mean you know I, I don't want to bash him because I love Frank Lampard, but it's just so weird having heard just five months ago, we are not ready to compete. And, you know, to be fair, I think after that one month, you know, that, that horrible month, that last month under Frank Lampard, that where we can discuss, was it, you know, it's partially full, but just as much the players, let's not get things twisted here. Yeah. No one would have expected for us to end up where we did and that's kind of the story of Chelsea Football Club no one would have expected us to win 2012 um and yeah I mean it's it's just always against all odds isn't it (laughs) it's it's, it's quite (laughs) remarkable and the emphatic way that we did it I think Ram that you know as a stats man yourself I mean we we were if I'm not mistaken five minutes behind in the Champions League this season was it was it five minutes yeah yeah I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> I mean, we didn't only win this, this this Champions League. We actually put up a new record. That is just Chelsea Football Club in a nutshell, isn't it? So, <laughs> I mean, let, let's let's be quite honest. This this, and I have to actually state something from Broody Blue, uh, one of the comments in the um, post-match reaction. Yeah, shout out to Broody. Because it was actually such a such a fit, uh, fitting comment, such a fitting comment. While 2012 felt like a last hurrah, this just feels like the beginning of something special with this crop of players, this 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 new young blood. I mean, Ram, as someone who occasionally likes the odd youth product and football. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> This will, must be filling with a lot of pride. I mean, it fills us all with pride as Chelsea fans, don't get me wrong, but especially people that have been extensively clamoring and believing a lot in these youngsters, these, these, the Mason Mounts, the Reese Jameses, 
Uh, yeah. Callum Hudson Hudson Odoi. Yes, he didn't play in the final, but you you get my point. Yeah, it must be very satisfying to see those lads have um, you know had the trophies in their arms on Saturday. Oh yeah, I can't even begin to tell you about that whole angle of things because it genuinely has been so long that the the people who've been ardently following the kids coming through our academy have been banging on about them for years and years. Some might even say since the times of Josh McEachran, going back to an entire decade of the last time we won the Champions League. But it's genuinely a culmination of all the good work that's been done by everyone in the academy. And, you know, when, when the likes of Mason Mount and Reese James came in to the system as under eights, um, what, how, how many years ago now? Probably 14, 14 15 years ago. That's when everything began to change at the academy. That's when the good players gradually started emerging, uh, you know, towards towards the, 2000, the, the early 2010s. That's when we really began to talk, you know, the Lewis Bakers, the Nathaniel Chalobas. That was the Dominic Solanke's uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. That was, that was almost like the first generation that didn't actually get to make it. But then there's simply no ignoring this crop of youngsters that have come through right now. They are simply too good. And it, it, feels, it feels like the most satisfying vindication for all the belief that I and everyone else have put in these players now to see them holding a Champions League medal and the trophy right at the end. And listen, I think, I think Broody's comment, I read it too when I was scrolling through the post-match reaction, it was so appropriate because 2012 felt yeah. like it felt like the end of a cycle, right? Lampard, Czech, Terry, Trogba, everyone, they were all at the twilight of their careers. But, Never forget yeah. Mikkel. Lord Mikkel. Yeah, Lord Mikkel, of course. I mean, they, they, they all played on for maybe three or four years after that, but then, you know, that felt like one of the last years that they would actually be at the peak of their powers and so it, so it happened to be. We did win a Europa League, but so it happened to be that, you know, we would never get close to reaching a Champions League final um, for a long time, apart from maybe one year. So, well, while that felt like the culmination of a cycle, this definitely feels like the start of something. It almost feels as if a Champions League win wasn't meant to happen now. But since it has happened, it just bodes so well for what's to come. And... I think it's very important for us to acknowledge that academy players have been at the heart of our successes this season. Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Reese James, um, everyone who's been involved so far, even Fikayo Tomori to, uh, last season. Um, Andreas Christensen, a huge part. It's, I think it's very important to remember that they, they will be a part of our successes in the years coming forward, it's important that they stay involved. I don't, I don't want to take this on too much of a youth tangent, but this just goes to show that the kids that we produce are good enough. Um, the academy has incredibly high quality staff and high quality work going into it from as far back as 15 years ago, and we can see the results now, and we will continue to see that. And it's just. I just hope that all of our successes continue in the same vein because 
I'm sure we will talk about what will happen in the summer in due time. But I think that's just, you know, alongside alongside a, a vindication of all of our longstanding beliefs. I think it's really an important thing to heed for us going into the future as well. But yeah, that was just incredible. And hopefully this is the start of what is going to be a period of a period of great productivity and great success for Chelsea going forward, hopefully the next next 10 years. Yeah, no, absolutely. Though uh, what I will add is a period of great success. The good thing about being Chelsea Football Club, and I do hope that despite my initial reservations that Thomas Tuchel stays a long time, what is seemingly ingrained into this Chelsea DNA, doesn't matter if it's young players, new players, old players, is just simply winning titles. That's what we do. So whatever the future holds, and I hope it is a very, very glorious and prosperous one. Yeah. I'm actually fairly confident that we can win trophies. And I'm not going to lie. After last year's FA Cup final and this year's FA Cup final, I was beginning to doubt us a bit. And shame on me for doing so. But those statistics of us in finals in recent years has been damning. Apart from against Arsenal in the Europa League, which was great in itself. But, you know, that was basically the only exception. So it's it's been tough as a Chelsea fan in finals in recent years. Um, but, you know, it all seems forgotten, you know, gone, forgotten. Who cares? We won the Champions League. And you know what? I'm, I have no problem with that FA Cup final defeat. It was really nagging at me up until, well, the Champions League final, to be completely honest. But I couldn't care less anymore. Sure, you know, two trophies would have been better than one. But then again, this is the trophy. It, I cannot explain how prestigious, and I, we all know it, you know, and for those that don't, this trophy means more than just we're the best in Europe. This is such, such, a, such a standout trophy, such a standout title. It's just going to boost this squad, I do hope, in so, so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from the players that we're going to try and attract in the summer, of course, you know, we're talking about the best. You know, it'd be brilliant to have one of those big, big targets, right? I'm joining the champions of Europe <laughs> like Eden <laughs> Hazard did in 2012. Yeah. That would be pretty good. And obviously, the confidence, the boost of confidence that this gives, especially, and I mean, well, we're going to talk about him still, but Kai Havertz. Uh, although I was watching actually uh, during a watch along um, with a, a German a fellow uh, and he actually told me how to pronounce him correctly. So the, the English version of his name is not correct, but it doesn't really matter. Uh-huh. So it's Havertz, not Havertz, oh, okay. as okay. many go, it's Havertz. <laughs> anyway, what confidence this goal must have given. I mean, it was brilliantly taken. Beautiful, beautiful pass from Mason Mount. The distribution from Monty, don't forget that. Yeah. But, I mean, Kai Havertz, sorry, uh, has been very quiet. Uh, you know, we, we've had some shots of him where he's always seemed like this very shy and uh, withholding character 
who mm. isn't, you know, like a, a Mason Mount or Ben Chilwell were bantering online and uh, quite loud, let's say it like that, which is fine, you know. Yeah. But now, after that Champions League final, I personally saw a completely different side to him because while I did watch him in the Bundesliga, I didn't really follow him on social media. You know, mm. uh, I think very few did. You watch football, but only really follow your own team on social media, I'd expect. Anyway, and seeing him come out of a shell like that and take the, you know, the mickey out of Sterling, I, I think, in that one video, <laughs> it's just great. You know, he, he must be soaring and, you know, kudos, you know, yeah, it's, it's, I'll tip my hat to him because he really deserves it. What a performance. He was gliding past at Manchester City. Yeah. Uh, d- defenders, I mean, Ram, was that a complete performance? It was. It definitely was. He sh- really showed up um, when it mattered the most. And I think <laughs> it kind of sounds cliche to say, <laughs> but then when he was when he was running past Ederson for the goal, yeah, I was just thinking of Fernando Torres running past Victor Valdez. <laughs> I was just yep. playing those two things in my head side by side and I could picture nothing else but those two tapping it into an empty net and scoring goals of great importance although that was in a semi-final but you know it's it just feels like Havertz could really really turn a corner now I think there are a lot of intangibles in football and maybe Kai Havertz's yeah. performances this season were a result of some of those intangibles not really falling in place, you know, COVID, new mm. country, uh, new league. He's he's so young at the end of the day. Absolutely. And yeah. nowadays, whenever a footballer is younger than me, I realize how young they are. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's, it's, it's everything. And I think it's just going to do him a world of good to yeah. have scored a literal Champions League winning goal. And as you say, it was just... It was a complete performance and he just showed us what he can do as a striker when the team is really looking ahead on transition because it was on the whole time when Chelsea were... Chelsea kept trying to play one specific repeated pattern of play where they were getting it out to Chilwell and um, Chilwell was playing it forward for Mount who would then look to release the runs of either Werner or, or Havertz. And they both did this very effectively throughout the game and kept catching either John Stones uh, or Ruben Diaz out. And we got in behind them time and time and again. And I think uh, this is this has really highlighted that what Havertz can do to the best of his capacity. And at the same time, let's also acknowledge that he came from a league where transitions are very important and any player that comes from the Bundesliga is naturally uh, well coached to take advantage of offensive transition situations. So that did slightly play in his favour that this is the way we look to attack the game. Um, But it also came as a very, very, well, salient reminder of how good good Kai Havertz can be. So if, um, obviously, Tuchel is going to Play different different games, different different styles of play mm. against different opponents who are well, who we are gonna you know dominate possession against more in games, 
And Kai Havertz might take might take his time to adapt more to these games where we have to break down low blocks. But listen, if if there was ever a time for us to be reminded of um, how how good this kid could be and how young he still is and how good he is for yeah. the game, then that would then you know Saturday night was a night for that. Absolutely, and you know I think what what seems so natural now because they've played here for a while. Let me just put this past you. Christian Pulisic, 22 years old, Champions League winner. Callum hudson Adoy, 20 years old. He's actually got 2,000 in his, his, <laughs> in his birthday. It's crazy as a 30-year-old, I'm crying. But Champions League winner, Kai Havertz. Yes, thank you. 21 years old, Champions League winner. Mason Mount, 22, Champions League winner. Billy Gilmer, 19, Champions League winner. I mean, it's crazy. And I'm, I'm sorry, I have to, of course, put in Reese James because that performance, we're talking about complete performances. I think those Manchester City defenders must be seeing Reese James in the nightmares, bombing at them, you know, just <laughs> running at them and tanking them out of the way. It's, I mean, 21 years old. Champions League winner and you know the, all the others that are there you know Christensen's only 25 uh, um, uh, Ben Chilwell's only 24 Timo Werner gave me a heart attack during that final but he's also <laughs> only 25 years old yeah. it's, I mean the, the future's so so bright and we've got so many players coming back which are also highly promising and you know it's, it's just so young like Mark Goey I, yeah. I think maybe you'll have some words to say on him at the end of the podcast uh, because um, the promotion final, our championship promotion final, did take place on Saturday prior to the Champions League final. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. Mark Gay couldn't lead Swansea up to promotion. But, you know, also huge talent, 20 years old. He'll be wanting to do the same as his brethren in the form of you know all the other Chelsea Academy products who are now Champions League winners. It's just yeah. crazy. It's crazy. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just ah, uh, and yeah, ju- just to add, same here. I think a lot of Chelsea fans will have done the exact same as you, Rab, namely watching all these videos. And that there were there were there are really are a few great ones. And shout out also to uh, Feroz who will be bringing out the Against All Odds 2, so to speak. That was the you know, volume best video two. I've ever seen, Against All yep. Odds Part 1. <laughs> Absolutely. And we're going to be seeing a Part 2 of that, or, we know, a second star. Ha <laughs> yeah. ha. Um, which I'm really extremely looking forward to. Uh, do not forget to watch that. Uh, I, uh, Yeah, great video. And we're going to have a lot of those while the content creators are making them uh and yeah it's just it's just phenomenal it's still not really fully sunk in and i think that is the fitting title of this 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 champions league win again namely against all odds and we have nevertheless done it so yeah i think we should come to some individual performances here and we're talking about man of the match here it's not a youngster anymore however feels as if he is stamina wise because he will probably run everyone else in the ground even the 20 year old and that's N'Golo Conte I mean I'm beginning to 
run out of words to describe him. It's just the the Kante twins were really up and about and running on Saturday. I mean, talking about nightmares for Ni- Manchester City round. <laughs> Kante. <laughs> I mean, every time we thought, oh my God, now they go, oh no, 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 no. Kante's there. Great. You know, it's just, it's just crazy. I mean, they, of course they did have chances, but still, it's just, Manchester City had one shot on target. One shot on target. And, I've, of course, the, the Mara's chance at the, at the end isn't counted in that. It doesn't come into the equation there. And that mm. was probably the best chance of the game um, right at the death. But still, a huge part played by in that stat coming about was N'Golo Conte. Oh, huge. He was everywhere. And I know that we say that we said that a few times about him, but oh man, he was so good. He was whenever maybe maybe um, Sterling got a few yards past Reese James and tried to cut inside, then Conte was there to stop. He was there to sniff everything out and just basically nullify all of Man City's attacks whenever they managed to beat the first line of defense. So it was. Yeah, it was just one of those performances for the ages, really. And it's just, I think it's crazy, even crazier when you put put it into the context of N'Golo Conte being talked about as, um, you know, someone that you wouldn't mind flipping over to PSG for a good amount of money. I mean, people were saying that um, at the start of this season and in the starting... Uh, the first few months, basically, because he just wasn't, he wasn't at his physical best, you know, and he wasn't no. putting in really good performances as, as a consequence of that. But then something that we've touched upon before is how Tuchel has actually taken taken the care to manage Angolo Conte's minutes and yeah. not insisted on playing him literally every single time he was available. So in a way, it's been good. And we've all, we've all, just seen that Angolo Conte is nowhere near finished yet and he is capable of world-class performances on the biggest stage. Absolutely. And it's just, um, you know, the clip of him celebrating with his mother and his brother, I think, was just so heartwarming. And I think, listen, I think he should really be in consideration for a Ballon d'Or. Um, yeah. Especially, yeah. I mean, hopefully France will have a strong tournament to strengthen his case there as well. But there is absolutely no reason he shouldn't be considered at this moment because he is probably a top three midfielder in the world at this point. Or or at least probably the best in the world at what he does. And there's just no two ways about it. He... I I can't imagine what we would have done if we didn't have N'Golo Conte. You know, even tactically... Uh, there mm. were times when our front three were pressing Manchester City quite high, and then our midfield, our midfield too. Um, sometimes Jorginho would go slightly higher to try and press, um, try and press the first receiver from Man City's midfield, and this created like a pretty big gap between all our attackers plus Jorginho and the midfield because there was like a huge space. Um, which Man City could exploit in behind our press. 
But the fact that we had N'Golo Conte there just helped us play that effective pressing game. And it's just, I can't, I can't emphasize enough how we would not be able to do that if we didn't have N'Golo Conte playing there. He's just, he's, um, yeah, he's, he's an all-pervading, almost omniscient midfielder. And yeah, I just, you're, you're, you're wholly right to single him out first because he was the man of the match and he should really, oh, okay. really be in consideration for the Ballon d'Or. I oh, absolutely yeah. love that man. I mean, if he's not at least under the top two, it's a yeah. farce. It's yeah. farcical. Let's be completely honest. I mean, sure. I'm not 100% sure when the Ballon d'Or is, um, uh, the whole ceremony takes place. But, you know, if he also were to have a fantastic tournament with France, whether they win or not, you know, of course, obviously, I'd rather have Austria or, of course, England win. But, you know, if, 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 now, those two don't win, I'd of course want France to win because that would mean no one would have an argument against N'Golo Conte and all these shouts for Bruno Fernandes, come on, give me a break. <laughs> you know, or others, you know, Robert Lewandowski, to be fair, 41 goals is of course fantastic, but come on, he didn't win anything apart from the Bundesliga, which they basically win every year anyway. So, they, yeah. I mean, if you watch those celebrations, they weren't even celebrating properly because no one gives a shit anymore. Sorry for my <laughs> language, but it's, 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 it's just, it's, 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 really, it's really just not that special anymore. And it says a lot about the Bundesliga, but then again, you know, you have to think about it. This N'Golo Conte came from, you know, the lower leagues of French football only a few years ago. He's extremely, extremely gifted and he doesn't want to show it. And that, that one video of Kurt Zuma picking him up during mm. the, the the trophy being lifted, that is just that, that's also one for the for the history books, isn't it? I mean, yeah. <laughs> that is just brilliant. And thank you. I, it sounds silly, right? But thank you to Kurt Zuma because he wouldn't have done it. He's just that shy and that you know level headed. He he didn't want to go into the limelight and this is just it's just lovely i i love angola Conte, and i hope that due to his you know outstanding world-class stamina he will be able to still play for us for i don't know another at least three years maybe uh that's wishful thinking i don't know uh you know it's always difficult to foresee how the physical decline when you're over 30 can hit you i mean yeah. Apart from Zlatan Ibrahimovic, um, but you know it's, it, it'd be fantastic to have him in the team for a, still a long time. Now, another person that I've already mentioned today is Reese James. I mean, wow, ah, hmm. uh, that right wing. Uh, that I mean, he was giving Zinchenko a massive amount of problems, and due to Manchester City, and this has to be said. I don't know what Pep was thinking with that lineup. I couldn't care less, you know. <laughs> it, whether it helped us or not, I think if we're all being honest, it certainly did help us because the way they played, they were very, very prone to get smacked on the counter, and that's what happened. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's just no idea what went through Pep's uh, Pep's head. Don't care, you know. But still, you know, it's. it's it's something where one has to say Reese James was a big part of because he just drove the ball forward. He was defensively sound. And thank 
God, he wasn't playing at right centre back again. <laughs> I, I have to say that because I, I haven't understood that. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't see where the point was. I'm sure Tuchel had his reasons, but and I trust Tuchel, but you know, I just feel like he has to be playing on that right wing back. Though, given the rumours, the recent rumours with Hakimi and Adama Traore, you never know. He might actually be playing somewhere else, midfield or something like that, where he did at Wigan. But yeah. coming to his performance, I mean, stellar one. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I know, for sure. I think, yeah, again, Reese James. I-, I love how some of our young players really chose to drop one of their best performances for Chelsea in the Champions League final. Yeah. And I-, I-, I just think Raheem Sterling didn't have a sniff. And it just reminded me of, um, you know, Reese James. I think it was either his full debut or one of his first games. But he came up against Wilfred Zaha, and it, mm. it was oh, no yeah. problem, no problem for him against one of the best one-on-one players in the world. And it was just a throwback to that sort of thing. Which just, I mean, obviously we talk a lot about how Reese James is the best crosser of the ball at the club, but it just took me back to that performance against Zaha, and I just got reminded of how. Reese James is actually a very capable one-on-one defender, and sometimes, mm. um, sometimes perhaps perhaps due to us getting caught out on uh, maybe transition in those areas and his recovery pace not being the highest, uh, it's belied a little. But then, when an attacker is coming up against Reese James, or if they've if they're recovering at equal keel, then he's a very very hard person to beat, and it just it it almost reminds me of how how hard to beat Aspilicueta was um in his prime yeah. you know 2014 yeah. to 16 17 um and and Reece James just has he, if he has that sort of defensive solidity to build um an off ball foundation on and he has such good crossing ability as well just imagine how good he could be in the next three or four years, it genuinely feels mm. like it genuinely feels like with him and someone like Livramento coming through, or maybe um, a, a new signing or whatever. It just feels like we could just be set up at right wing back for a long, long time, just w- whatever way Tuchel chooses to play it. Because I know he's had Callum Hudson to drive later as well. So, but but genuinely with these James, I feel like we've got a first choice or a very, very strong contender for a first choice right wing back for a long time. So, oh, yeah. yeah, you're very you're very right to single out Reese James. And, and you know, alongside Reese James, I just also want to really highlight that Andreas Christensen has come a very long way oh, yeah. since, uh, since a bit of a cock-up against Barcelona in 2017-18. He has... He's had a lot of peaks and troughs in that time where we've questioned everything regarding whether he's a strong enough character or whether he's um, as expressive on the ball as we want or whether he is really much more than a defender who can just read the game really well because that's always been a strength of his since he was 19, 20 years old. Um, but now when Andreas Christensen is, is you know, reaching, he's going to be reaching his prime age soon and it feels weird to say that because he still seems like a young player in my book yeah but 
given the fact that he's just turned 25, he put in a performance befitting of a defender of that age, and he's shown maturity befitting of a defender of that age. Um, he's he when he came on and had to slot in for someone like Thiago Silva, who holds that much responsibility in the back line, um, even though he had Aspiriqueta playing playing next to him. It's not easy to just come in, you know, when you're not really expected to be called upon in a Champions League final yeah. and slot in and just do it that seamlessly. And I thought our defense was excellent throughout throughout the game and he was he played a huge part in that. And I think I just think Christensen Christensen seems like one of those players who just, you know, refuses to refuses to die quietly, regardless of dips in form or players coming in and all sorts of things. Yeah, it's just when you talk about unsung heroes of the game, uh, um, now that we've, you know, um, just just as we've discussed some standout performances, mm. just when it comes to unsung heroes of the game and just the season in general, I feel Christensen has to be up there. And I'm really happy for him because at this point last year when you were talking about centre-backs who might get let go of, I was, you know, I had resigned myself to the possibility that Christensen might be let go because maybe yeah. he just wasn't going to be good enough. But he's just really had the best redemption arc under, especially under Thomas Tuchel. So I'm very happy for him. Oh, well, I, I definitely agree that to, um, Andreas Christensen has to be singled out as one of the stand-up performers under Tuchel. No doubt about that. And stepping up, and that that that's a very good point to make because this is the biggest stage the whole world is looking at you um he has to fill the shoes of tiago silva who was very sad to see him uh, come off but yeah. you know i think in of course personally he wanted to continue playing but i think even tiago silva knew he's his position's in good hands because it's really incredible to compare the andreas christensen of as you mentioned that post that barcelona game uh where until then, and it has to be said, he was the first name on the team sheet for me and a lot of others. You know, he was that good under Antonio Conte initially. Yeah. Um, and then he just had those years of uncertainty, mistakes. And sure, you know, the, the three at the back will have helped him. But maybe this is something good to build on because I think he can play just as well in a four because he did it at Gladbach, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I don't. I remember play, having him, seeing him play in a four at Gladbach very well. Um, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong there, Ram. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I think this is the company just basically needed to to kick on. And, you know, not only... Uh, I, I don't only tip my hat to, to Christensen for that, but also to Thomas Tuchel, because he has shown that players that have had problems you know uh, low on confidence or just haven't been good he can actually push them to another level and that is fantastic and um one thing that i don't quite agree with you about is uh saying the uh he's been the revelation you know the one that's turned things around the most uh, since Tuchel arrived because there is one that i have criticized immensely and while Christensen also put in some last ditch tackles which were decisive you know game defining yeah. one player who was already dead let's 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 be honest the guy was done and dusted is Tony Rudiger I mean yeah I can't I still can't really believe 
what kind of a difference the Thomas Tuchel's made on him. I mean, obviously both are German, but still, he's not only become probably our most solid defender under Thomas Tuchel, our most aggressive defender, which the aggressiveness I haven't seen before, you know, not in the way, not in the effective way as we've seen in these past months. Yeah. But he's actually become a leader. No, like a, an actual leader who drives the team on one where you'd say, that's actually appropriate of our old guard. You know, one who will take up responsibility, who will tell the, the youngsters and encourage them and bark orders out. That is... I'm still kind of gobsmacked about it because it's. <laughs> I, 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 I'll be honest. I tweeted out, I don't want to ever see him in a Chelsea shirt again because, to be fair... To you know, in my defence, he he did show have some performances where he thought, "Oh my god!" You know, yeah. I think it was last season where he thought, "Please no!" You know that, <laughs> that that was just that bad. So, to be fair to Chelsea fans that did doubt him, um, you know, he he did have a very very poor face, and it was for a long time. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, who cares? He's actually become one of, if not our best defender, apart from Thiago Silva, maybe, in regard to consistency, um, at the club. I, I, I generally could have never seen it, and I take you can, you know, you can you can laugh at me, or I'll take it. You know, I have to stand for it. Absolutely, my I, I on my on me, my fault. I just couldn't have seen it happening, and. Tony Rudiger, what a performance. Again, in that final, there were two last-ditch tackles. Ashley Cole-esque, where, not on the line, but still, you know, just these last-ditch tackles where it was going to go in goal. At at the very least, it was on goal. You couldn't say if Mendy was going to hold them. You know, you couldn't say. And he just, he was a warrior. He was the epitome of a warrior in blue. One reminiscent of John Terry, Ricardo, Ricky Carvalho, you know, all these greats where I'm not saying he's he's as good as them, you know, though he has been impeccable since Tokyo came. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this guy's just he's he's only 28. He's in the pri- in his prime. I really, really hope that things continue as well as they have been for Tony Rudy, because what I have always seen said is off the pitch, this guy is fantastic. You know, he's for his charities, what he does for his home, well, home country is his parents' home country. I'm not sure anymore if it's his mother, his father, or Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, the guy is just ace. He really is. He's a fun guy. Um, I love his German interviews. Yeah, so it's, it's fantastic that the, he's turned the corner at Chelsea, and I'll never doubt him again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yeah i mean we, we we can talk about a lot of it i mean ben chilwell yeah. fantastic um uh, mendy i mean <laughs> what a story you know seeing him cry at the you know uh full time i must say i shed well i shed tears anyway but still you know with with mendy especially seeing him he just oh, dropped it, down as soon as the final went yeah i mean if that didn't touch you, then your your your, your heart's made of stone. Yeah, that was just—it was beautiful. It it was well and truly beautiful, and I'm welling up a bit now just thinking about it. Yes, 
that's what football does to men. It's just, it's it's just a beautiful story. It's just, uh, yes. I mean, as I said, lots of stand-up performers. Mason Mount, what's there left to say? I, I don't think we even have to, you know, talk about it. That pass, that's just Mason Mount. It's just, you know, normal nowadays. There's it's not nothing left to say about Mason Mount. It's just, for me, he's the player apart from Kante who is deemable as world-class. Yeah, I said it. I don't care. <laughs> Haters come at me. You know, yeah, at the very least, he's on the best way to becoming World Class and should be deemed as such very soon. Yeah. Yeah. If he has a great World Cup, then, yep, the uh, World Cup, sorry, European Cup, then yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, was there anyone else that stood out for you? Maybe or any anything to add? to the, the individual performances, Ram? Well, I think I just want to really save a word for Mr. Thomas Tucker. Um, <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah, because he's... Yeah, there's no denying it. He's done wonders. He's done wonders since he's come in. You know, it was... He's done wonders, and for me, it just feels like it hasn't been apparent... <laughs> until we've actually won the Champions League, but he's come in to a team that hadn't been playing well with some fractious relationships in the dressing room, and he just turned everything around, basically. Sadly, it seems to have come at the expense of, um, you know, some of our younger players having reduced roles like Tammy Abraham and Callum Hudson-Odoi, but He's completely rejuvenated guys like Jorginho and Marcus Alonso and Tony Rudiger. Rudiger. <laughs> Most <laughs> importantly, as you said, yeah, Tony Rudiger even gave Kepa a few games here and there just to remind him that he's just, um, you know, he, he's in here. And then when Kepa did that, when Kepa did a proper knee slide celebration when we won, that felt mm. really nice as well. So I think... You know, we've been talking about how Tuchel has been in damage limitation mode for so long as soon as he came in. I think that's still been true right until the last day um, in terms of the way he set up his team to not lose and be very, very hard to beat. But it just seems like he's mastered the attack of... I mean, mastered the um, art of attacking on transition, rather. Yeah. And I would expect no less from someone who's being so proficient uh, and storied in the Bundesliga. But Tuchel is an incredibly tactically astute manager. There's no two ways about it. He has set the team up in the perfect way more, much more often than not. And every single time we've played Man City, he's gotten the better, or at least matched yeah. Pep Guardiola. Not mm. to forget. Um, because I think we may have gotten a little lucky in the last league game that we played against them. But we have never been the the worst team when we faced up against Man City. And they won the league. Um, yeah. They are a bloody good team, let's not forget. So I think Thomas Tuchel has done one of the best jobs in football in recent times. Roberto Di Matteo came in and we we hung on for dear life against Bayern Munich. And that also involved a good level of practical understanding and maneuvering because not everyone would have put Ryan Bursch and 
um, against <laughs> against Frank Ribery and Philip Lahm uh, in giving him his, his full debut. So, you know, a lot of credit has to go to Di Matteo and Eddie Newton and the whole team at the time. But Tuchel has, Tuchel has made us look comfortable and almost cruise against people like Man City, Real Madrid, um, Atletico. Atletico Madrid. Yeah, it's, it's it's been crazy. That's a lot of high-profile opponents, and we haven't. We've maybe gone into these games as underdogs, but when the game be- begins to be played on the pitch, we just look so comfortable. And th- there are times when we've not broken a sweat, um, apart from against FC Porto. When you when you talk about it like that, it's genuinely unbelievable. So I am I am in awe of what Thomas Tuchel has done, and my only my only hope for Thomas Tuchel going forward is that he keeps the academy players involved, just hearkening back to what I said at the start. But apart from that, I just have I have faith in him at this point and I am happy for him to take take things in the direction that he sees that he sees fit because he has done a phenomenal job. One of the best jobs in football that I've seen in a short span of time. In mm. in my living memory, to be honest. Yeah, and no, I, I I I can comfort you in the sense that Thomas Tuchel, anywhere he has been, especially of course Mainz, but it's a different club, of course. But also at Dortmund, um, and I didn't really watch him at PSG, so I can't uh, say it for Dortmund. But for uh, for Dortmund for PSG, but for, at Dortmund, he did integrate young players as well. You know, if they're good enough, they play. So it's not, you know, like a Mourinho who says that or has said that in the past where you say, yeah, you say that, but that's not happening. Um, Thomas Tuchel actually does that. So I think, you know, we'll have to wait and see, but we have some some damage limitation that we've had to uh, have take place because the owner, even though he only just saw him on the pitch, which was pretty nice to see um, that first encounter, Will have told him, you know, these are the these are the um, aims that we have. He only has a you know, a very short term contract. He has to prove himself. Well, it's obvious that he's not going to be playing the you know half of the team with youth, you know, filling it with youth players. And yes, he didn't use Callum Hudson Odoyan as much as he did initially, though he did trust him in. So he always gives him advice. You know, you see after the game, Callum Hudson-Odoi, he takes it. He wants to hear what Tuchel's saying, and Tuchel always gives him advice, coaching him even after the game's ended. And that's why I think people are saying, oh, you know, Callum Hudson-Odoi, blah, blah, blah. I think he's happy. You know, he doesn't seem as if he's unhappy. Apparently, according to actual reputable sources, apart from, you know, May or anyone saying that Bayern's in for him again, um... Say he's happy, doesn't want to leave. I think next season we'll be able to see more Callum Hudson Odoi under Thomas Tuchel because he definitely rates him. That that's that is undoubtable. And um, Billy Gilmore, I think he might be loaned out next season. But also, you know, he played three games in a row at the yeah. tail end of the season. And we're not talking about oh yeah, it's only the last few games of the season. Those were crucial encounters for Champions League football because we didn't know that we'd win the Champions League and yeah. secure, uh, uh, you know, the the European football in the highest European league for next season. That you know, one way or another. So you know, he puts trust in these young players, and I think he has earned the right. 
for us to trust him in that sense. Yes, I I understand that people are still very disgruntled. You know, like the only major issue that many have, like I've, I've seen Oli um, Darryl, uh, on Twitter often not be too happy about excluding Tammy Abraham. And I, I understand that, you know, why not have Tammy Abraham included in the Champions League final and FA Cup final instead of Emerson? You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. All the versatility of Emerson, that's nice. But all of that aside, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. But, you know, Thomas Tuchel is a very assertive person. And if he says that's the case, then that's the case. And it's just the way it is. And I, I think he's earned all our trust to say, you know what? Okay. He, he, he probably knows what's best. And we might be making a, a very similar mistake to past players like, you know, Romelu Lukaku being also a striker with Tammy Abraham. But, you know, to be fair, highest scorer or not this season, when he has played, you know, in even in the last months when Rain, uh, Rainer, uh, Lampard was reigning still at, at Champions I had the reins at Stamford Bridge. He wasn't showing enough. You know, he, he hasn't done enough for me personally, despite being uh, our top goal scorer or until Jorginho scored that one penalty to you know, <laughs> get seven goals. So, uh, you know, I'm all for giving him a chance. But um, if Thomas Tuchel doesn't deem him good enough, then that's just the way it is. We can't do anything against that. So, yeah. Um, but I think... I think we will still see a lot of academy players come up. There are uh, some very, very, very exciting prospects like Livramento uh, yeah. coming up, who's been in the rumor mill today. Uh, and we'll just have to wait and see. You know, give him a full preseason, which we won't have again, thanks European Cup. <laughs> um, but you know, it's 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 going to be interesting because it's no longer damage limitation. He's actually fulfilled the aims which he had he's seemingly it's not been officially confirmed yet but he's got a long-term contract now until 2024 if i'm not mistaken yeah so um well that's at least that's what's been rumored so yeah maybe he has more freedom now to take some risks thomas tuchel definitely takes risks you know don't don't be fooled by his um maybe more pragmatic approaches in many games this 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 half this last half of the season he does take chances so we'll see we'll just have to wait and see be patient you know just be happy that he what he has done for the club you know he 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 what no matter what happens with Thomas Tuchel he's already now firmly ingrained in this in this club's history you know he is the second manager to to bring us, you know, Champions League glory. And, yeah, he'll be in Chelsea for four years to come. So, thank you, Thomas Tuchel. Thank you, Ram, for mentioning it, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing him up. He certainly deserves it. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, it's going to be interesting, don't you think, about who you'll bring in? You know, apparently he's, he, he said, not apparently, he did say two to three signings. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be good. Anyone's guess which positions those are, but um, yeah. What what do you think we can expect from Thomas Tuchel uh, in regard to the transfer market? You know, 
potential incoming players because that is dawning upon us now. Yeah, yeah, a few a few interesting things. Uh, the the first thing being, I have no idea where he might <laughs> where he might actually reinforce the squad. I guess my first thought is midfield because mm. it feels like maybe Jorginho might be let go of now if he has if he's able to find a suitor at this point because yeah. he's 29 years old um he will turn 30 halfway through the season and he's got 2 years left on his deal so it seems like a decent time to sell him i'm not sure who would get him but i'm sure a lot of teams in the serie a could could use Jorginho, and we're never going to get can't afford him though yeah that's a that's the problem when um, i think there should be an acceptance that we're never going to get close to what we paid for him at this point but that was always going to be the case when you buy a player uh you know in their late 20s and give them a big deal that was in his prime to be fair but yeah okay it was but i mean at the end of at the end of the contract he would be towards his 30s so the the question of flipping him on for profit never really arose to be fair um so well considering you haven't got a Conte Kovacic and Jorginho and Gilmore being the fourth midfielder even if we don't manage to flip Jorginho off somewhere I feel like we might strengthen anyway um I think Billy Gilmore will probably head out on loan yeah. If we're gonna stick to this two two man midfield formation, which I feel like we might do. Um and in that case, I think we might see a big signing there because I'm guessing it might be suboptimal for Jorginho to continue being well, a first choice midfield player. And while we have while Kovacic and Jorginho are generally good options to have in the squad. Um, I think there's a possibility that he might go for a big signing. So whether that's Declan Rice or um, Aurelien Shuameni at AS Monaco or Kamavinga or someone else or someone to play alongside Conte who is also press resistant and and most importantly good at, good at finding good passes between the lines would probably be a good priority. So, I I wouldn't, and I have seen that Thomas Tuchel is reviving our interest in Declan Rice. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be uh, surprised to see that one happen. But I guess it would come down to financials. But I think we will make a signing in midfield. And do you think, do you think we're going to sign a striker? Because that's the next position that comes to mind. Because I think you know, um, unfortunately, I think Tammy Abraham will be leaving for various reasons um the foremost of which is kai Havertz has probably take overtaken him in the pecking order for actually being a striker so i think kai Havertz and timo warner are players who will be in the side before Tammy abraham at this point and olivier Giroud will leave as well he'd probably go to ac milan but does this mean that we're going to sign a new striker because you know obviously all that holland talk is there Personally, I think it's bollocks and that we're never going to get Erling Haaland. Um, but given the fact that we have Warner and Havertz in the building already, 
do you think we're actually going to go out and sign a really big name striker? Yeah, so the thing about that is <laughs> I I definitely think that that's our most pressing uh, uh, the most finishing you will say area, you know, the area in with where we have the most need. You know, we definitely need a striker which bangs them in left, mm. right and center. It, it that's just a fact. That that is a fact and you know, no one can persuade me otherwise. It's 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 this is if we've had if we'd had like let's say a Robert Lewandowski who just bangs them in for fun because we have created enough chances I think we've been like first or second in that department then we would have probably ended up being second we would have maybe been also not just you know the underdogs for the Champions League final and would have won it's just you know the way things panned out is fine. But now we have to address this issue because as much as I really do like Timo Werner, um, something's got to give. And sure, I am still have the hope that he will uh, come good and that he'll start banging in more goals. But, you know, at this moment in time, he hasn't really shown that. So... <sighs> We, we we do need a contingency plan here because <laughs> we can't trust on Timo Werner and Havertz as some have been implying. Uh, mm. Yeah, that would be enough. Well, we need a defender in the midfield. Oh my God, no, no, we need a striker. And I'm very grateful that like the rumours that we have had around um, potential incoming players have primarily revolved around the centre forward. So. I'm very glad that the club and Thomas Tuchel, one would assume, agrees with that sentiment. And, um, yeah, who we get, that's a different story entirely because you've already mentioned Haaland. The only other two options which are on the market and would immediately improve us are Harry Kane <laughs> and Romelu Lukaku. And... Sure, there have been question marks about Lukaku because of his time at Man United, but it wouldn't be the first time that United break players and they actually flourish elsewhere. <laughs> so, um, you know, Memphis Depay comes to to mind, same as Wilf, Wilfred Zaha. So, uh, it's, it's, you know, I, I think Romelu Lukaku would give us a huge boost as well. Financially, of course, it's different because... Just quickly addressing the midfielder debate. I don't think Jorginho will leave, and I think it's good. Uh, I I like Jorginho. I think many know that. Many people know that. I've been criticised for it in the in the preferred lineup threads uh, on a few occasions. I, mm-hmm. I think Jorginho is still good enough to to start for Chelsea. Uh, he definitely is. He's a Champions League winner. You know, he was a instrumental in our good form uh, under Thomas Tuchel. Let's not kid ourselves. You know, come on. That is definitely the case. And that's why I think Billy Gilmer will be honed to be his protege. He he will be his replacement. And I think if we get a good loan destination, Brentford will be a good one. I'm not sure who they have in midfield. You'll be a better person to consult in that regard. But the football that I've heard them play seems quite fitting of Billy Gilmer. Please not Newcastle. For the love of God, <laughs> that is not... That's, that's the exact opposite. But... My point is, Billy Gilmer, we saw this 
when he played together with Georgina, they're very similar players in many ways, apart from, you know, Gilmore being just more athletic. So I think if we would stick with Jorginho for another season, he'll be 31 then. Or is he 30? I, I, I'm not sure. What did you say? He will be 30 in December. 30. So he'll be 30. Uh, he'll have one more year on his contract. We'll get a few quid, hopefully, for him maybe still then. Uh, that will also be the time where Italian teams can actually afford him. <laughs> um, so I think that's a good a good combination because then we have Billy Gilmore on loan. He'll be able to prove himself. I'm sure he will. And we have another midfielder coming in. Who that is, you know, we'll have to wait and see. You you named a few possibilities there. So it is, of course, the question, how much can we spend on the striker, on the star strikers? There's no point getting, you know, some striker that's been doing well, like a, an Isaac from Real Sociedad, who I watched in Dortmund, and people completely forget about past. You know, about past, I know he's young, but he was dreadful for Dortmund. He was genuinely dreadful. He just and came over as a really young player from Sweden, hasn't he? I know, mm-hmm. but you know, put, to put things into context, do you? He's still very young, and he's had his first good season. Do you want to put all our faith, all our? problems that we've had you know to solving them in the hands of someone who is you know it's his first season of being good and you know i i i know it's obviously sounds a bit weird because i also want us to get haaland who is also very very young but i've watched haaland for many years now and that is you can't compare he's in the bracket of Kylian mbappe when it comes to mentality he is the exception here. Isaac is many, you know, one of many who one can say, you know, same with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. You know, he's a bit older now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you're not sure. He's his first really good season where he's consistently putting good performances and scoring goals. I don't know if they will really improve us in the way that we need it at this moment in time because we need an ice-cold finisher and, there are only those three options. Sure, there's Lewandowski, Ram, but we're not going to get him either. So <laughs> no. Harry Kane's not going to happen because of Levy. Uh, I can still remember all too well that Modric side, Modric. which is, yeah. was horrible. Um, so we basically are ending up with Haaland and Lukaku. I don't think that Haaland will come. I agree with you. I'd love him to come. He would be a fantastic signing, probably the solution to all our problems. Because he just scores, you know, is what can say about, you know, will he adjust to the league and all that? Yeah, that's fine. But there's one thing as a striker that you either have or you don't have, and that's the instinct where to stand. You know, you need positioning to know, I need to be here and I'll score goals. And that's what he has. And that's not something that you just forget when you change league. You either have it or not. Because Timo Werner, if you believe it or not, he's he had already these problems in Germany of, squandering loads amount of chances so mm-hmm. for me it's either one of those three strikers or there's no point then i'm we might as well invest heavily in rice in midfield i think declan rice would be a fantastic signing and a defender for example hakimi so if we say okay we're not going to get a striker then getting in hakimi and rice would be fantastic you know, and then we'll have to address a striking problem uh, another year. 
or we get Jaden Sancho theoretically, but I'm not sure that would really help us too much because we've already got wingers that I trust. So <laughs> it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. Um, but generally, yes. If I'm, I'd have to tell you, you know, if you put me on the spot, what's priority list? First is centre forward. Second will be probably a midfielder, and th- only in third would come a defender. And I really don't want us to get Donnarumma. Yes, he's a fantastic talent in goal, but I want us to trust Mendy. He's 29. He can give us loads of years of, exp- you know, of. of of his career still he's got he's very young in goalkeeping terms uh despite being a late bloomer don't get a goalkeeper it's unnecessary people saying well he's on a free no he's not no he's not he actually costs more than you'd buy some players because of uh mina royola so don't do that please no concentrate on a center forward if we can't get it then get the more Pricey options in midfield and, def- and defense, and and we're good. Those are the three signings. I I'm not sure. What do you make of this? You know, maybe to end things before we come to the England squad announcement. What do you think of these these rumors of a right wing back coming in? Because w- that does have implications, of course, for Reese James. Yeah, I can't say I'm a big fan of it, to be honest. Especially when it's. Um, I mean, listen, I understand that Adama Traore, for example. I don't think we're going to get Hakimi for what it's worth. I don't think we're going to go splash 80 million on our right back when we have these James. And I think if Hakimi does go somewhere, it'll probably be like, I don't know, Barcelona or, um, or maybe not Barcelona, given he's a Real Madrid player. PSG, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. PSG or anyone else with cash. Um, I don't think that's going to be us. So... While I I would think, okay, yeah, maybe this would be worth it if we're getting someone like Hakimi, who was excellent. But apart from that, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure if we actually need someone to come in over there. Um, I know we have Reese James, who can play right wing back really well. We have Aspilicueta, who can cover the position as well. But, you know, it would be suboptimal to have him play there. But my whole question is, where does Callum Hudson and I fit in this entire equation? Because... He he put in good performances at right wing back, and we are gonna face a decent number of teams next season against whom uh, we will need want to play Hudson Odoi's right wing back against, just like we did when Thomas Tuchel initially took over. So I'm just thinking, listen, if if Hakim Ziyech has um, kind of put himself back into favor with Tuchel, as he seems to have done towards the end of the season, and Pulisic is knocking on the door. And if we get another striker and Havertz plays behind the striker instead of playing as the striker and Mount needs to play, that just, it screams to me that there's no room left for hudson Adoy anymore unless it's a right wing back, you know? So for me, if we bring in Adama Traore, for example, at right wing back, that effectively spells the end of hudson Adoy for me, unless uh, we sell Hakim Ziyech or something, which I don't think is going to happen, honestly. So that's uh, it's kind of where I'm standing on that. I'd really like to see Callum Hudson or I given a proper go at right wing back in these games where um, the opponent's really going to be sitting in a low block because he's gonna he's gonna help in those kind of games and we can afford to play him at right wing back in those games and that could just you know really help him propel his uh, stature in the squad one way or the other. 
So I'm I'm not a fan of Australia bringing in someone. I I don't think it's uh, necessary at this point. How about you? Yeah. Uh... To be fair, you know, it's always about, oh, ooh, a new signing, shiny, uh, <laughs> that hmm. you think, ooh, but the implications or the ramifications of getting, for example, uh, um, Adama Traore, because as you said, I, I agree, I, I don't think we're getting uh, Hakimi because he's already been reported that he's like close to joining PSG anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the implications, of course, for Hudson Adoy aren't good. I agree, and I, I, I really, really like Hudson Adoy, and um, yes, he hasn't lived up to the hype again this season, unfortunately. Um, though to be fair, Lampard didn't really trust him at all. He didn't play him, so you know, scratch that. Uh, but under Thomas Tuchel, it has been weird to see him uh, gradually play less and less. But then again, he has had some sub appearances. Um, the last few weeks, you know, the last few weeks of the Premier League. Mm. And um, Thomas Tuchel clearly rates him. I don't care what anyone tells me. Yeah, but he hasn't been playing. Tuchel rates him. He said it on multiple occasions. He's wanted him in the past a lot, you know, mm. already already at PSG. And I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, also already at Dortmund, he was saying, you know, this, 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 this lad's actually that good. I want him. So I think next year will be more of an indication it'd be unfair because of all the damage limitation as you already mentioned blah 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 of Thomas Tuchel and of course the you know short-term aims that he had to fulfill um to really say he's done with Callum Hudson I don't think so so if we don't get a right wing back I definitely wouldn't be unhappy about that get in Get in uh, that that strike and that midfield, and that would be those two signings that we need to be elevated. That would also mean that we could break the bank more for those signings. Um, if we pay a hundred million for Lukaku and then a hundred million for Rice, that would be two hundred million that we spent last season. Fine with me. Doubt it will happen, but you know, I I I I'm, I don't know uh, enough about Tuchmeni to, or if that's the correct pronunciation, to. Say anything about him, so I don't know if he's that good or he will be end up being the second Bakayoko. Although you know, I, <laughs> I wouldn't mind giving Bakayoko another chance as well. But um, yeah, so I, I I just don't see us getting a right wing back in unless as Pelicret is being phased out because yeah. that one has to say. If Aspilicueta really takes up a, a Paolo Ferreira role next year, mm-hmm. and everyone will remember what the Paolo Ferreira role was most <laughs> of the yeah. time at the in the twilight of his career, then things get open up again. Because if we don't get a central defender ram, let's say, and we will be playing more often than not with the three at the back again. I can see him playing Reese James as a right centre back because it's he seems to like that. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, that is. That opens up the possibility because then you have on the right wing back position you have only Callum Hudson Odoi. Then mm, that could be. So that would be a possibility. It's, there's a lot of ifs, you know, a lot, a lot of the question marks about how Thomas Tuchel sees this squad next year. Still, you know, so. It's not all doom and gloom for Callum Hudson Doy if we were to get a Damatrauri. It just means that possibly there are other plans for, for example, a Cesar Azpilicueta, which would be sad. 
because of I think we can now deem him because he what he has done at the club, he has become a club legend. I'm sorry, but he is. He's won two Europa Leagues, he won the Champions League, he's won two titles, he's won a League Cup and an FA Cup. If that isn't something that's deemable as a as a Chelsea legend, then I don't know what is because he's played the way he has played, the amount of games and what he's always done for the club and has been the club captain. He's a Chelsea legend, so it would be sad to see him go, but, you know, we don't know what's planned at the club. We'll just have to wait and see. And, yeah, so just just to maybe put some more perspective into the Callum hudson Doy situation. Yeah. Uh, I think that's all we need to talk about transfers. Uh, of course, it's maybe not that bad to talk about transfers again. It's nice to talk about them after winning a Champions League final, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um but now it's all about that england squad so ram would you do me the honors of introducing your thoughts or introducing the 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 listeners to your thoughts on the england squad which has yeah. come out today yeah it's come out today the final 26 man squad after which some players have been cut, but no Chelsea players have been cut from the squad because all of Mason Mount, uh, Reese James and Ben Chilwell have made the final cut. And I think that was fairly obvious that that was going to happen. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe there, was, there were a few doubts. In fact, I saw some authors for The Athletic, like Oliver Kay, calling for Reese James to be excluded because the squad has too many right-backs and James probably the most expendable slash at least experienced one um which is yeah so nonsense yeah yeah so well i think priest james has had a very well deserved call up to be fair and even though there are maybe too many too many players that can play right back in the squad i think there is also an element of priest james and kyle walker being able to play right center back as well and for that reason, and I think Gareth Southgate has chosen to go with the versatile players for the squad, given that he also included Bukayo Saka, someone who can uh, play many, many different positions. So I think the way Southgate has seen it is Kieran Trippier and Trent Alexander-Arnold both are depth on the right wing back side of things. And... Reese James and Kyle Walker are depth on the right centre-back side of things with the option to provide something different at right wing-back, if at all possible. It still may, it still seems like there's one too many. Um, so that, that area of the squad is a little imbalanced and maybe it could have been used to add the X-factor from set-pieces through someone like James Watkrauss instead. Um, that's, my, that's my only complaint with the England squad, to be honest is that they have maybe one right back too many, whereas they could have taken the option to do something different with us with the squad. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I, I quite like it, to be honest. I mean, all the midfield, given that he's going to play a 3-4-3, um, I think all the midfield options are very robust because uh, you've got a bunch of defensive midfielders, basically, and you've got Mason Mount. So given the way Southgate wants to play, I think it's fine. And you, the, the front line is honestly elite. If you've got Harry Kane flanked by Jaden Sancho and Raheem Sterling, then I don't or or, or Phil Foden, then yeah. honestly that's 
that's a that's a top level elite front line. So I think England are quite well set up to be honest. I could see them and I think Gareth Southgate plays a certain type of football which is more suited to knockout football in general, which is basically uh, a risk averse style. It may not may not always be the best thing to watch, but gets the job done kind of thing. So yeah, I would I would I'm kind of hoping for England to make a pretty solid run in, into the latter stages of the tournament, if I'm honest. Uh, what what do you, what do you think? What are your thoughts on the squad? Well, you know, you're ama- I'm guessing you were too young for this. Uh, with all due respect, of course, to you, but in the middle of the 2000s, when I was basically a, a you know a teenager, uh-huh. it was all about the golden generation. Lampard, Steven Gerrard, Wayne Rooney, David Beckham, etc., 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 where everyone's saying they need to win a trophy. And they never did. The cohesion wasn't there. To be fair, the management was terrible. 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 And I'm not 100% sure how much better care of Southgate is because one thing that we spoke before we started recording, uh, which uh, I shared my my. Uh, disgruntlement with you about is why on earth start Jesse Lingard against Austria tomorrow if he's not coming with us to the Euros? It makes no sense. I'm sorry. It doesn't. I actually must say I would have left a, a right wing back or a right back out of the squad and that as much as I do not like him for his social media BS I really hate that. I, I can't tell you when he starts with his Millie wag blah blah swag kind of BS talk. I I just I I get livid. I do not. I can't stand it. I sound old. I'm thirty. I'm allowed to do that now. No, it's it's just I don't like that. But Jesse Lingard deserved to be in that squad. He did for that second part of the season. And the thing is, I'm not saying that he should have been a starter in this England squad. He isn't obviously, but the guy already in the past has shown he can be phenomenal from the bench. He can. He can have an impact on the bench. Bring him on at 70 minutes. He gives you much more than four right backs. And that is one of those decisions where, yeah, I remember the Gareth Southgate uh, song and it was fantastic getting to the World Cup semi-finals in 2018. Lovely memories still. I'm sorry, but, you know... I, I don't think he's the coach to bring us forward and actually right the wrongs of the 2000s with that grand squad we had back then. You know, the quality of players um, with the squad that we have now because this, we have quality in this squad again. Now, this isn't an average English so We have an immensely talented and young squad which has to be managed appropriately to get the best out of them. And I'm not sure Gareth Southgate's the one to do that. I'll be completely honest. And the, the choices that he's made in regard to the right-back situation, I'm not happy with that. I, I, I'll be completely honest. You know, Maybe people will tell me I'm too harsh on him, but uh, nah, I, I, I'm not happy about that. I, I think he should have uh, taken Jesse Lingard with him. He really should have. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's just the way it is. And I'm looking forward to the game tomorrow against Austria. I hope to see um, the Chelsea players, one or the other, maybe uh, get a break 
because, you know, there's no game until August anymore for Chelsea, but, you know, (laughs) (laughs) they might be a bit exhausted from all the parting they've done these past days. Uh, Maybe give them a break, Gareth. That would be pretty neat. But it would be great to see, for example, Reese James start tomorrow. I'd love that, you know, because he deserves to be playing in this England squad and to show, yeah, I deserve to be the starting right back because yeah. he, does, he is. In my in my books, he is. You know, Trent, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold hasn't had a good season. Um, Kieran Trippier has won the league, but, you know, I think he's more of a backup than anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who's the fourth right back? I've forgotten. Um. Walker, James, Alexander-Arnold. Right, and Walker. Be, yeah, Walker. Yeah, so I think Walker, because he has done... We're, we're playing with three at the back, and we haven't got any centre-backs. Uh, there's been a lot of injuries. There's been a bit of a wobbly end to the season for St- John Stones. Thanks, Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think we could actually see Carl Walker play the right centre-back role. So that gives, for me, in my opinion, it gives Reese James a free run at right back, or right wing back, actually, in this case. So, yeah, but generally, I think it's great to see four Chelsea players. Did I miscount here? Wait, Reese James, Mason Mount, three. Ben Chilwell, three. Damn. Okay. <laughs> um, nevertheless, three, uh, three Chelsea players in this England squad. I hope they shine. You know, I really do. I really, really do. And that the entire world can see what Mason Mount is made of. He's going to go yeah. to the very top. The very, very top. <laughs> I have a very, very nice Harvey Arnap impression there. Uh, <laughs> well, I think on that note, uh, we've, we've covered an insane amount of um, topics, which I think we started recording about one and a half hours ago at this point yeah so yeah, we, um yeah approximately well maybe we'll come back for um another episode in a couple of weeks time to go through some of the transfer stories and cover how our players are doing at the euros maybe um so it won't it won't be um a typical dry preseason as it were so this is uh this isn't goodbye for uh, the next couple of months, listeners, because we, we will be back. But, well, <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't exactly been doing weeklies. So um, I, I, can't, I can't say we're going to be taking a break from the weekly schedule. But we will, we will be back. We're not taking a complete break for the preseason. We will be back to discuss um, how things are shaping up on the, on the transfer rumor side. And the Euros, as we mentioned. So until then... Um, and it's been a blast, honestly. 2020-21 has been a pretty weird season for, well, multiple reasons. And it's but it's ended in the best possible way. That's Chelsea thing. That, yeah, it's a it's a it really is a Chelsea thing. It always starts off weirdly and ends in the best possible way when it does. But <laughs> we just like to thank you to to be to be honest for listening to our irregularly spaced podcasts that we really enjoy doing to be honest but it's just um jimmy and i have had different things going on at different times throughout the season 
And by the time we both were able to align our schedules properly, we had somehow reached uh, the end of the season. So um, it was it was the way it was. And hopefully we, we, we've still managed to provide um, a few quality episodes worth of content for, for you guys. And next season, we can only promise to get more regular. Jimmy, that's something that you and oh, I... Yeah. That's something that you and I um, will definitely work on um, yeah. once we start uh, doing regular podcasts next season. And another thing that we will definitely do is try to engage more people from the community. Um, again, that's that's proven to be a little difficult for us to do because of people's availability and everything this season. And it, it's just like games have been coming every three days, pretty much, which makes it kind of difficult to schedule podcasts as well. So hopefully we'll just have like a nice reset come August when the new season starts. But the bottom line is, thank you very much for listening to We Ain't Got No Podcast. It's been a pleasure from myself and from Jimmy Funnel and from all the guests that have been on the podcast. And we will see you a couple of times during preseason. But until then, bye-bye from We Ain't Got No Podcast and keep the blue flag flying high. And we're European champions. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Champions of Europe. We know who we are.